Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Veterans Care Association and Timor Awakening podcast. The Timor Awakening program is an 11-day immersive, holistic and peer-to-peer veterans program based in East Timor that has a singular vision, which is to promote the health and well-being of veterans and veterans' families. Due to the current restrictions from COVID-19, we are running slightly abridged programs on the Gold Coast uh, with the same vision and same aim. We're using these opportunities to sit down with our participants one-on-one and conduct podcast interviews to capture their story and their lessons learned and things that we can all learn from uh, as we as veterans and wounded healers move through our own journey and help others do the same. We're going to be covering a whole range of topics including defence transition, mental health, relationships, veteran suicide, PTSD and post-traumatic growth. Whether you're out and about or listening to this at home or driving in your car, we do trust that you'll learn a lot by listening to our participants. Thank you and enjoy. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's Michael Albrecht again. We're uh, on the final morning of TA16. Everyone's uh, enjoyed their last uh, dips in the oceans and runs and uh, watching the sunrise and uh, using this uh, last opportunity to sit down with our final guest for TA16, which is uh, Michael Baroni. Welcome to the podcast, mate. Yeah, thank you very much, Michael. And uh, yeah, look, I mean, this is, um, you're a full-time current serving member, uh, which is, yeah, we have had some full-time members uh, before, but it's great to have people who... People like yourself who are potentially looking down the down the uh, the barrel of transitioning in the not too distant future to sort of get people on these sorts of programs uh, beforehand. So uh, you can bring a, bring a really unique angle to this, which I'm really looking forward to. So uh, yeah, I guess first and foremost, we might just um, touch on a little bit about what your military background has entailed so far. Yeah, my military background. I've been now in the Defence Force family for just over forty years. So. Um, Joined back in May 80 and um, went through the ranks. So started off in Armoured Corps and then um, almost got kicked out for having um, sports asthma back then. So I had to find another job. So I became a pay clerk of all things because okay. back then it was either a field force unit or non-field force unit. Okay. <laughs> so, so I ended up being a pay clerk and then um, I got posted, uh, one of my postings as a pay clerk to 3MP company in Melbourne. And um, I noticed that the MPs at that stage were doing a 24-hour shift and getting 48 hours off. And I thought, well, I must be in the wrong job if I'm coming into work every single day and they're only working seven days out of a fortnight. Yeah, yeah. So I joined them and um, enjoyed that and probably did about 12 years as an investigator. All right. Until I commissioned. And once I commissioned, I um, changed course yet again to transport. Okay. Because that opened a few more doors and different... Um, trades within Transport Corps itself mm-hmm. and my first posting as a um, commission officer was to IC Maritime Wing in Townsville cool. where I discovered boats <laughs> and I didn't think we owned any and um, after that I, I went as to IC on HMAS Manura, come off her, went to 3 Brigade and then went back to Manura as the OC, decommissioned Manura with the Navy Went across to the UK to pick up HMAS Chules. Was the first OC of the ship's army department on HMAS Chules for a couple of years, and then I um, took a bit of time out to um, be with my wife because of being separated down in Sydney for a while. So we decided to um, buy a caravan, pack up the house, and do a lap of the map for twelve months. Wow, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, we only made it to Darwin though in about. Eight months. Oh, okay. Um, then my wife thought it was a great place to settle down. Uh, looking at it a bit strange, knowing that the wet season was coming, and <laughs> being posted there once before, thinking we're in a caravan. This isn't. This isn't not going to go well. 
So she um, she got a job straight away and I was twiddling my thumbs and made a few phone calls and back into the system. So ended up being to, uh, the S4 for one aviation regiment mm-hmm. for a couple of years mm-hmm. and then 2IC, 11 SISB for around three years and now I'm currently the S4 for LWC at Canungra, about to pick up the 2IC's position next year. Wow, that's a very diverse career. Yeah. What year yeah. was it that you transferred to offices from our stream? In two thousand and two. Okay. Yep. 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 And what's been the what's probably the highlight of all that? I mean, there's a lot of you've covered a lot of ground there. What uh, what stands out? I, I think it all does. Yeah. I don't think I can pinpoint one at all. I think throughout my career, every every stage, even through promotion, has been a highlight mm-hmm. and making making it to major, which I. Never thought I'd ever do, but mm. um, got that high and I've enjoyed every part of it. Nice one. And uh, in terms of overseas missions and deployments and things like that? Yeah, yeah. I've gone to the Sullivans. Yeah. Um, being on the ships, so we did a lot of um, – we went in and out of Timor as well. Yeah, right. But, um, yeah, so that's about it because um, being as 2IC or um, being on ships, I wasn't able to – to get a full deployment in. Calling the shots from back yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. And uh, I guess uh, sort of fast-forwarding from all that, how did you first find out about Timor Awakening and Veterans Care Association? Uh, we had a presentation at the start of the year by Gary and the team yep. at LWC. Um, Gary knows my CO quite well. They've served together before and mm-hmm. she invited him in mm-hmm. to, to give us a, a heads-up of what the program's all about. And then she offered for anyone in the unit to to go and and um, attend a TA. Mm-hmm. So well, I put my hand up along with the um, padre, and um, the boss was quite welcoming to give us the time off to to attend. Excellent! How cool is that? Yeah, it's fantastic. Nice one. And what's uh, been uh, your experience so far on the program? I come on with the, the presumption that I was here just to observe how the program ran mm-hmm. so I can give feedback to current serving members mm. to say this this is a great program or what they actually offer in the program itself. And then I discovered whilst on the program that I was probably bluffing myself that that I actually had issues that haven't been uncovered before. Mm-hmm. And so I was quite grateful that that, that come out and now I've worked on it and I can see if a way forward. Well, it takes a lot of guts to to see that and admit that and, and to to state it. So I thank you for that. Um, any anything in particular that you're comfortable sharing that sort of stands out that you, that sort of has been awakened a bit? Well, I think it was my relationship. I haven't been um, communicating quite well at all at home, um, and I'm on to my third marriage, mm-hmm. and this one wasn't looking too shiny either towards the end. And I discovered that I was probably the best actor in the world, as in putting on my uniform mm. every day. And it's like that Superman cape that you put it on, you're untouchable basically. Mm. You're quite familiar with your surroundings. You're quite, quite familiar with what the system is. But when I take that off, I didn't know how to communicate with people. Gotcha. Because unless they were defence personnel, I couldn't talk to them because I just believed that they didn't understand mm. the military system. 
And my wife not being a military person, I started to, you know, get angry and shut her down, not talk to her at all. But I always thought it was their problem. I don't, mm. didn't believe it was my problem at all. And until now that I found that it's not actually them. They're actually beautiful people and I was the one shutting them down. And that awful thing is, and well, thanks for that. I mean, that's, uh, again, takes a lot of, a lot of vulnerability and guts to sort of identify that and also to share it. Um, I guess everything you said there about being an actor and putting on the, the masks and the Superman, that's that's the product of the military, right? Like yeah. you as a you know, as a leader have to put on a, uh, a certain demeanour so that you command the respect of the people and you can't show your uh, vulnerabilities because then you know, there's a risk people won't respect you. Like that's... I guess the other side of it, that is a unfortunate but inevitable byproduct of the military system at times, given the paradigm that we're currently in. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah you can't show that vulnerability <coughs> to, to anyone. And I think that's you know, that's your upbringing too, I mm. suppose, mm. if you're my age, that uh, throughout being a, um, a child as well, do you, you're always told, you know, just brush things off and mm. keep going, mm. you know, talk about things. You know, same with any injuries. You don't go to the doctor straight away. You try to fix it yourself before, <laughs> yeah. before you go seeking some help. We're all backed up, backyard doctors and psychologists at the end of the day, aren't we? Certainly are. <laughs> yeah, the whole culture of, you know, never show your vulnerabilities, never show yourself the upset. I mean, there's a lot of aspects of being in the military, I think. Uh, yes, they serve a purpose. Like if we go to war, you need a rigid and non-negotiable chain of command. You need people who follow orders without, without uh, questioning them. You need the ability to put aside your feelings to achieve the mission, all those sorts of things. Um, I, I sense at times that we do hide behind that. I oh. mean, if you're in battle and the bullets are flying, definitely, or you're in training to instill these principles in the first place, yes. Definitely. When you're in man management or lady management uh, or you're dealing with other softer skills when the time is right to do that, I think people avoid that. And use the party line of, well, that's not what it's like in the military because we're training for war. And I, th- I think that's a bit of a cop-out at times, personally. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I can give all the advice perfectly to my soldiers mm. on what they should be seeking if they've if you got, they got the problems. But I never identified that I actually had the problem. So that, that was the, the awakening that I've had. Wow. Yeah. That's inspirational. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's just... There's some uh, similarities with that with, with all of us because, you know, myself and the other group facilitators, peer mentors, yeah, we come down and we're here to, to serve and set up the program and run the program day to day. Uh, but there's a revelation and another layer of awareness for us every single time. Yeah. Yeah, we're all wounded healers. We've all got our own stuff going on. None of us are perfect, far from it. Um, but it's just about chipping away one layer at a time. It's actually, you're correct. It's actually having... The, the thoughtful to actually put up your hand and say there is a problem. Mm. If you identify it, yeah. then you have to do something about it. Otherwise, it is your fault. Yeah. It's no one else's but yours. I think you, you're you um, sitting in a position of a really unique insight, and that's that you, know, you have come to this program. You, you saw the presentation, you're still serving, and you would have had no doubt, I imagine, some reservations about how this could look on your career or what if people find out or, or something like that. And I imagine if anyone's listening to this who's in your situation who hasn't put their hand up is probably thinking the same thing. So how oh, how did you process that? Definitely. Uh, I mean, I felt that regardless of whether this affected my career or not, mm. something had to be done. Right. Otherwise, I would have lost another wife. Okay. So in the end, if 
as I said, if you don't put up your hand when, once you realise something, then you're really not that strong at all. You have to, you have to identify that and then ask for the help because you can't fix that yourself. Yep. So and this program has shown that and, and assisted me greatly mm-hmm. to to move forward now mm-hmm. and um, start the conversation with my wife. Excellent, love it, love it. And uh, in terms that you mentioned before, a few things about. Uh, transition. No, I don't know where you are personally. Obviously, that's an individual choice. You uh, may or may not be thinking about getting out of defence. That's I'd rather you tell me that than the other way around. But what's sort of um, your thought on the transition journey? What's available? Um, how it's currently being managed, and all, all that piece. I think transitioning. Yes, I'm transitioning shortly. Okay. I, I hit the sixty mark in about a year and a half. Okay. So that's the mark in the sand that they. Um, Stipulate is your notional retirement age. Okay. Yep. So we'll see how that pans out. However, uh, seeing the transition seminars themselves that we offer in the Defence Force at the moment, great idea and been working for years now. But what I feel is it's more of a show now. So they get the soldier that's either broken or wants to discharge, they come in for a two day seminar and they get. Um, done by um, PowerPoint presentations. Mm. A lot of lot of um, good organisations are there trying to give out their information. However, it's only a short period of time and if all you're worried about is the money side, how much you're going to get or what happens to me when I get out the door, mm. we don't cover that too well at all. We give them a show bag with a lot of phone numbers in it mm-hmm. and basically we've ticked the box to say you've had your transition mm. Seminar, up to you now. Someone else will pick up the pieces as you walk out the door. So I, th- I feel programs like this, if if they were injected, because mm. I don't believe what we're doing now is working properly, so we need to change something into the system yep. and even go forward by small steps. But offering um, soldiers this sort of program before they actually get out I mean, it's 10 days. Mm. If we can't afford to give them 10 days before they get out of the system, then we've got it wrong. Yeah. And how far, how, that, yeah, you perfectly answered my next question there. I guess following on from that, how far prior to separation do you think a program like this, this is perfect to inject into it? I, I would look at it, it depends on their situation. So if we're talking about a, a soldier that's injured and about to be medically discharged, I think as soon as they've been identified, we, we have an organisation in the system called the Soldier Recovery Centre yep. Where, yep. where they spend a fair bit of time. and They do do different programs, but while they're there, they should be identified or given the option to go to something like this. Mm. So that's way before they're actually discharged out of the Defence Force. So they understand that, yes, they have got a problem, how to fix that problem, who they can talk to, and obviously have that mentor or peer mentor that they can actually ring if something's going wrong as well. Because mm. at the moment we're kicking them out the door, they've got no one yep. bar the DVA hotline. Gotcha, gotcha. I think, yeah, you're right on the money because a lot of the things you learn in this program, as you've, as you've seen, uh, how, to, how to change the way you think, how the way to change you relate to people and yourself. And I think the earlier you can get that in, the better because a lot of our, our veterans have been out for six months, some of them been out for 20 years, you know what I mean, and a lot of the same habits that they've had just keep circulating for all that time and it's never too late to start reversing that 
but no. trying to reverse it after or starting to improve it after someone's been doing it for 20 years unconsciously is a lot harder than someone who's going through that part of defence, that transition now, you know, when you get them early. Yeah, that's right. And, and it is, it's almost like the, the fault <coughs> or the default situation when everyone's getting out is DVA will look after you. Mm. Well, once they make the first phone call and and um, mm-hmm. get get someone on the line if they can, and then nothing's happening, they they start to feel left down. I believe so. They need yeah. they need someone better than that that phone number. Absolutely, and the thing is, DVA is overwhelmed. I've got a DVA claim in from my back. I was in three RAR and got sacroiliac joint dysfunction, uh, which affects me whenever I do long term sitting, uh, which is a lot of the time. And um, yeah, mine is. Approaching three years, we've been in. It's funny you should say that. I put a claim in for hearing. Yeah, um, a shoulder surgery that I had back in two thousand and ten. Mm. I put that in in October last year, and you don't even get a mm. a message back or anything yeah. back from DVA to say, "Yep, we've got it. We're, we'll process it in due course." You don't get anything at all. So all you sit do do is sit back and wait. Yeah, for either someone to contact you. Or not. 100%. And I yeah. actually, while I was on here, I actually got a text message just saying that someone will be contacting me within the next week to um, to see what they can do for me while they process my claim. Well, that claim's almost 12 months old. Yeah. So imagine if I was out of the system yep. waiting for that claim to go through yep. and thinking I've been told all the way along that is going to look after me and then suddenly I've been sitting out there mm. With no support at all until they ring you. Yep, and, and there's uh, multiple hang-ups along the way. Like um, sometimes the delay is also getting a doctor to sign off on it, uh, oh. especially if your condition is hard to diagnose. Mine is one of the, an example of that. Like if it doesn't show up on scans, if there's nothing that palpable that you can look at, um, it could be a real nightmare. And I had to wait six months just to get a doctor to sign off and say that it was right unfortunately the doctor i was originally seeing uh, who diagnosed it passed away um you know and so there's a a whole range of things that can delay this so the sooner you can get these things started the better and the the more support networks you can have while that's taking place the better because if you're relying on that you could be waiting a while (laughs) that's right a lot of soldiers won't know any different yeah yeah don't get me wrong, I'm not having a go at DVA. No, no, not at all. There's a yeah. great purpose yeah. for them. Yeah. And they do a great job. It's yeah. just the staffing, I suppose, just lets that, that great job down at, at this stage. But, yeah. you know, coming on something like this, mm. they get all the information. They've yep. got their peer, mm-hmm. they've got their mentors, mm. and they can understand that there's a lot more out there that offer support mm. to, to veterans than just one organisation. That's there's right. a multitude of them. Yep. And it's about finding what's the right one for you. Yeah. Nice one, nice one. Uh, I, I think you kind of touched on it already, but I think we'll uh, circle back to it kind of um, specifically. I always try and ask this at the end of the, the sessions because I think it's so important. It's like, w- what has been your your personal Timor Awakening? My Timor Awakening is on two fronts. Mm. It's um, sadness mm-hmm. and discovery. Okay. Sadness is, is me hanging up my Superman outfit. Mm knowing the fact that I've hidden behind that for so long and um, that's the saddest in my awakening because I thought that that was just normal until now and my second one is discovering, discovering that I actually did have a problem and doing something about it. Mm. This has shown me what I can 
can't do and the support I can have and um, what it actually offers. It, it's absolutely fantastic. I've said it before, but I'll, I'll say again, like I really honour you for coming on the program, you know, owning up, not only to enough to come to the program from day one, but you know, staying the course and then, of course, having the realisations and, and sharing them because someone listening to this, even if it's just one person, I guarantee you, is resonating with it. Yeah. And we'll make better decisions because of it. And my advice is you're not alone. Mm. There is great organisations out there. Mm-hmm. It's only one phone call away and it, it's not just through DVA. Do a little bit of research on that phone and you'll be amazed what comes up. Fantastic. Love it, Michael. Look, before we uh, consider wrapping up, is there anything I've missed or anything else you want to uh, touch on there? No, I'm just grateful that I could be a part of this uh, program and, uh, yeah, I would recommend it to any um, veteran Mm -hmm. or serving member at the moment. Fantastic. Love your work, Michael. Appreciate having you on the program. We'll uh, chat again soon. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, mate. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We trust it's been valuable. If you've got any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to us at support at veteranscare.com.au. And we do encourage you to share this podcast with anyone you feel really needs to hear it and keep a lookout for our next episode. Thank you.